Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. John 9. While walking along the road, Jesus saw a man who was blind since his birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, who sinned? Who is responsible for this man's blindness? Did he commit sins that merited this punishment? And if not his sins, is it the sins of his parents? Neither, Jesus answered. His blindness cannot be explained or traced to any particular person's sins. He is blind, so the deeds of God may be put on display. While it is daytime, we must do the works of the one who sent me. But when the sun sets and night falls, this work is impossible. Whenever I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After Jesus said these things, he spat on the ground and mixed saliva and dirt to form mud, which he smeared across the blind man's eyes. And then he said to the blind man, Go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means scent. The man went, and he washed, and he returned to Jesus, his eyes now alive with sight. And then neighbors and others who knew him were confused to see a man so closely resembling the blind beggar running about. Townspeople. I am the same man. It's me. A man named Jesus approached me and made mud from the ground and applied it to my eyes. He then said to me, Go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. I went and washed, and suddenly I could see. I don't know. The townspeople brought the formerly blind beggar to appear before the Pharisees the same day that Jesus had healed him, which happened to be the Sabbath day. The Pharisees began questioning him, looking for some explanation for how he could now see. He smeared mud on my eyes, and I washed. Now I see. Pharisees? The Pharisees were at odds with one another about Jesus and could not agree whether his power came from God or the devil. So the Pharisees said to the formerly blind man, I have no doubt. This man is a prophet. Some of the Jews suspected the whole situation was a charade, that this man was never blind. So they summoned the man's parents to testify about his condition. They asked them, Is this man your son? Do you testify that he has been blind from birth? How therefore does he now see? And they answered, 
We can tell you this much. He is our son, and he was born blind, but his new sight is a complete mystery to us. We do not know the man who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask our son? He's old enough to speak for himself. The man's parents were a bit evasive because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It had been rumored that anyone who spoke of Jesus as the anointed one would be expelled from the synagogue. So they deferred the thorny question to their son, and the Pharisees called on him a second time. Pharisees? If this man is a sinner, I don't know. I am not qualified to say. I only know one thing. I was blind and now I see. Listen, I've already answered all these questions and you don't like my answers. Do you really need me to say it all over again? Are you thinking about joining up with him and becoming his followers? Isn't it ironic that you, our religious leaders, don't even know where he comes from? Yet he gave me sight. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does respond and work through those who worship him and do his will. No one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of any person blind from birth. This man must come from God, otherwise this miracle would not be possible. Only God can do such things. And the religious leaders banished him from their presence. Jesus heard what had happened, and he sought out the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? he asked. I want to believe, Lord. Who is he? And Jesus answered him, You have seen his face with your new eyes, and you are talking to him now. Lord, I do believe. And the man bowed low to worship Jesus. Jesus said, I have entered this world to announce a verdict that changes everything. Now those without sight may begin to see, and those who see may become blind. Some Pharisees who overheard Jesus asked, And Jesus replied, If you were blind, you would be without sin. But because, because you claim you can see, your sin is ever-present. Thank you. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Pray with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. I ask, Lord, that if there's anything in my life that you would just make it right with you and that you would keep me behind the cross so that, God, our eyes may be opened, our lives might be transformed to meet you here in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, the scripture was long, and again, thank you for taking part. I'd like to take it this morning just a few verses at a time to see what it meant then and what it can mean to us this morning. So try to step into the event a little bit with me. Jesus is walking along. His disciples are there with him. They're in conversation. Jesus sees the blind man. The disciples obviously see him as well, and they're familiar with him because they know that he's been blind from birth. So the disciples have questions. There's no talk or thought of Jesus healing the man. They just want some answers to questions. And they ask Jesus, who sinned? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And don't you love to wonder sometimes what is in behind questions that are asked? I wonder which disciple asked that question. Was that person dealing with some sin in his life? Or were they just all trying to learn some theology from Jesus? But again, there just didn't seem to be any thought of the man himself. They didn't ask Jesus, what about this man? Would you, could you heal him? They were into head knowledge about God rather than compassion and heart. We mentioned last week the connection between sin and suffering. And it was believed, quote, wherever there was suffering, somewhere there was sin. And some people that day thought that for anyone born blind, there had to be a prenatal sin, so even in the womb, the sin was there. There was another group of people who believed in a pre-existence of the soul. Good souls and bad souls pre-existed. So if you were born blind, you obviously committed sin as a bad soul before you were ever born. And scripture does tell us that God says the sins of the fathers are visited down three and four generations. So they wait. They wait for Jesus to answer. But Jesus' answer isn't clear. And I love how Jesus makes people think. And I'm going to keep stopping here through this message this morning, but stay with me. I love how Jesus makes us think. And we need him to do that more for us more today. And we need to ask him and allow him to do that. You know, we look for a speaker so often and a Bible study leader or whatever who's done all the research, done an outline, pulled the main points out, maybe for a 20-minute teaching on a Sunday morning, and then ties it all up in a pretty ball with some take-home advice for us to follow. I often feel we do it wrong. We do an injustice in that. Yes, we need teaching, but we need to think. And we need to learn just enough to make us hungry so that we go looking and we get into God's word ourselves and give God an an opportunity to speak to us directly from his word. So in answer to the question that the disciples were asking, Jesus said, this man has been born blind so the deeds of God may be put on display. The New Living Translation says, so the power of God can be seen through him. And I remember I preached on this passage one time in another church and biblical scholars have really wrestled with that and really they've not come down to any clear answer on it so if any of you are really looking for some of the uh, just some of the thoughts of our biblical scholars let me know and I can go searching and find some of those but what on earth did Jesus mean how was God's power ever going to be shown through this blind beggar and then Jesus continues And he says, it's daytime. We must do the works of the one who sent me. That would be his Father God. Because when it's night, work is impossible. I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world, he said. 
And I'm sure the disciples were just shaking their head like, we asked a question, but what does he mean? And my question here this morning as I read this, well, where was the blind man in all of this? Was he overhearing this whole conversation? He was probably right there. What was he thinking as this discussion was going on? And then without saying another word, Jesus spits on the ground and mixes it with dirt to make some mud. And he goes over to the blind man and he smears the mud on his eyes. And we think to ourselves, how gross is that? And it's one of two miracles where Jesus uses spittle. But it was very common in that day. And the spittle of a distinguished person was believed to have healing qualities. A bit foreign to us. But we need to hear Jesus took the methods and the customs of his time and he used those to carry out the task in a way that people would understand and in a way that would draw the people to him. So I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we willing to use the methods and the customs of our time, of our culture, to draw people to Jesus? Do we worship in ways that draw today's people to Jesus? Do we serve in ways that will draw people today to Jesus? And if not, why not? So again, as we read this, keep in mind the blind man has not asked to be healed. No friends have led him over to Jesus. We don't even know if he had heard about Jesus before today. And Jesus went to the man, who probably couldn't see him coming, but may have had a, an increased sense of hearing and heard him coming towards him. And then the blind man would feel this mud being put on his eyes. It would be almost comical if it weren't so strange. And we can just imagine the eyes of the disciples and the eyes of the people. And then Jesus says to this man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Not having asked for any of this, all of this taking this poor man by surprise, Maybe wondering how on earth he's going to get to that pool. 33 rock steps that he has to go down to get to the water and then a, a dish would be there to, to bring the water up to his face. And yet he continues on and he does it. And then I picture the man at the pool opening his eyes and being able to see for the first time. He hadn't seen water. He hadn't seen rocks. He hadn't seen people. And yet, for the rest of the story, I sense a bit of an aloneness for that man. There's this amazing change to his life, and I couldn't help but wonder who was there to share that with him. From the voice translation, it says, his lifeless eyes are now alive with sight. Let's never underestimate how important it is for us to be beside people. In the hard times, yes, but also in the celebration times, our presence is so important. I wonder who was with the blind man that day. But then he makes his way back. You can see he came back. The, the translation says he was running around. And people won't believe it's him. Have you ever had trouble trying to convince somebody, especially about something about Jesus? Dr. McRae at Acadia Divinity College was one of my favorite professors. And he told me a story, and I, I had chatted many times with Dr. McRae. I think we were at the point that he trusted me to believe this. And he told me how one night he went to visit some parents who had their first child, and the baby had been born blind. 
and they were having a really difficult time handling it. And Dr. McCrae prayed with them in their apartment that night, and the baby was able to see. And I can't imagine the joy in that home for Dr. McCrae, for the parents. But it was a long time later that Dr. McCrae was talking to a man, and he told him the story, and this man was a doctor. And the doctor questioned him carefully about it, and finally he said to Dr. McCrae, he said, that child's sight was not just healed, there was a portion of the eye for this situation that would not have been there when that child was born. When you prayed, God created that part of the eye after the birth so the child could see. Imagine Dr. McCrae or the parents convincing people God continued the creation of a baby after the baby was born so he could see. And I think I've mentioned to you a couple of times uh, a friend by the name of Catherine. I knew her in another church years ago. And for eight years she had had a fall. And for eight years her physical condition deteriorated. She was in a, a body brace going into a wheelchair, the doctor said. And the prognosis was she would be an invalid for the rest of her life. And there's a laying on of hands in her living room. And she was healed that Saturday night. And the church gave her five minutes in the early service to tell her story. The church couldn't handle the miracle that had happened to her. Not to mention an insurance company who kept sending checks because they couldn't believe a miracle had happened. And that's what she told them in her letter. Miraculously healed, but she couldn't convince people. And even Jesus, when he was resurrected, had to say, please give me some food so he could prove to them he wasn't a ghost. And think about us when our lives are changed by Jesus. Maybe it'll be a Sunday morning here and we'll go to work or into our community, our homes on a Monday, and people will say, what do you mean Jesus has done this, changed your life? Do you really expect us to believe that? Well, as the crowd hears it, it becomes clear that, this, yes, this is the same man. Here are their two questions. Number one, how? How have your lifeless eyes been opened? And the second question, more importantly, where is the man who healed you? Circles right back to Jesus' words, where he answered the disciples' questions, and he says, now is the time. Now is the day. It's daytime. Night is coming. People are wanting to know, while it's daytime, we must do the work. How can I find meaning in my life, people are asking. How can my lifeless eyes be opened? Where is Jesus for me? That question is being asked all around us every day. I am a Winnie the Pooh fan. I admit it. It's a child in me that comes out. And Pooh asked Piglet, he said, Piglet, what day is this? And Piglet said, it's today. And Pooh said, really? Really, it's today? That's my favorite day. <laughs> May we realize it is today. And there are people around us who need to know Jesus Christ. So of course, with the good news of Jesus comes warfare. And for this man, it was no exception. The people take him to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, to see if they can get some answers. And I couldn't help but think of that poor man. It's hard enough for us as followers of Jesus Christ to stand firm in our faith. 
It's even harder for those who are new Christians to try to explain what their faith is all about. But this man hasn't even seen Jesus yet. And he's being interrogated by religious leaders. How did this happen? Well, a man put mud on my eyes, I went and I washed, and now I can see. And he stands his ground and he says, I can see, and that man did it. Do we realize sometimes that our testimony can be that simple? People ask, what's it all about? Our response, our story. This is what Jesus has done for me. They want to hear that. Well, the warfare continues, and they keep just bursting his bubble of joy, and they tell him that this is definitely not from God. And why? Because it just wasn't done that way to have anything done by God. Healing on the Sabbath was, first of all, against the religious laws. And this man that you're telling us about, he made clay on the Sabbath. No, he's guilty. And he healed you on the Sabbath? Any man of God would know you cannot even set a broken limb on the Sabbath. You can give someone medical attention in an emergency to keep them from getting worse, but you can't even give them medical attention to save their lives on the Sabbath. So this man's not a man of God. And another law that was broken, spittle, was not to be put on eyelids. How's that for a law in the religious books? Don't put spittle on eyelids. So this man's guilty. How can you say a man of God did this for you? So they call in the man's parents. And even the man's parents won't support him. They put it right back to their son. Ask him. He's old enough. Don't ask us. And John indicates that they were afraid. And what was their fear? They knew that if they stuck with their story, they could be banished out of the synagogue, out of the church of that day, publicly denounced if they were following Jesus, cursed in the presence of the people, cut off from God, from society. Even supporting their son wasn't worth the risk for them. Can we draw a parallel here at all? I really can't sugarcoat it. We're not popular at work and at school and at university. We're not popular in our community and with our neighbors. When they find out that we go to church, that we are Christians, and that hurts us. And we really don't know how much more serious it's going to get as we stand for our Christian faith. When they don't get very far with the parents, they call the man in again. And the interrogation starts again, and you can almost see the smoke-filled room and the, the, bald, the bare light bulb over the man's head. Tell us one more time what happened. And then they get personal with him. And they say, you're believing in a sinner who's defying God. You're one of his followers. We follow Moses, not someone like that. And you were born under a cloud of sin. So don't try to tell us anything. Something very sad here. When the Pharisees start to lose their argument with the man, not only do they get annoyed and frustrated, and then they get personal, but they resort to abuse and insult. Would you agree with this quote? The moment insult and abuse and threat enter into an argument, it ceases to be an argument and becomes a contest in bitterness. We become angry and resort to wild words and hot threats 
and they all prove that our case is disturbingly weak. It happens, doesn't it? And it's heartbreaking when it happens in a church. Insults and abuse and wild words. We don't realize how Satan uses us to hurt others, to hurt another person, to hurt the people who overhear what's happening, what we say. We need to make those times right, say we're sorry, and ask for forgiveness. Well, Jesus finds out that the man has been thrown out of the synagogue and has gone public, and he goes to find the man. And I absolutely love that verse. He goes to find the man. We don't realize how much Jesus searches us out, how much he goes to find us, how much he longs for us to be part of his life, relationship with us. I'd like to stay with that for just a moment. There's a bit of a warning for us here. John Chrysostom, he was a bishop way back in the 4th century, but he said, the Jews cast the man out of the temple. The Lord of the temple found him. If Jesus did that, and if we are to be the face of Christ to others today, not just in our world, but also in our church, does that not mean that we have to go and find those who have been hurt in the church and bring them back? Maybe we did it. Maybe we said it. Maybe somebody else did it or said it. But Jesus wants us to let them know that they are loved and that they are important. A pastor and his wife were arguing bitterly, and it was time for the pastor to go for the evening service, so he drove away. He had to go and preach, after all. And as he drove, he continued the argument in his head, and it was her fault. It was just all her fault. And the Holy Spirit started to convict him a little bit and said, well, you know, she did have her side of the story, and she's home hurting right now. You do have time to turn back. And he thought, no. She doesn't deserve for me to turn back. I was right, and this was all her fault. And finally the Holy Spirit says into the man's heart and mind, well, if that's how it's going to be, you keep on going and you go to the church and you preach your sermon, I'm going back to be with your wife. <laughs> Who needs us to go back? Anybody come to your mind this morning? We need to go looking. We need to say we're sorry, even if we might feel that we're right. And once again, a part in this scripture that's so beautiful, Jesus says to the man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the formerly blind man says, I want to. I want to believe, Lord, who is he? And Jesus says, You have seen his face with your new eyes, and you're talking to him now. It's all summed up right there, isn't it? Jesus searches us out. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts, tugs at our hearts. And we think, well, I want to believe. And Jesus says, that's all I need, the want to. Tell me you want to, and I'll help you to see me with new eyes, and I'll talk with you, and I'll help you get to know me and believe in me. And as it was for that formerly blind man, as it will be for us and for those to whom we share the good news, the man said, Lord, I do believe. And he bowed down and he worshipped Jesus. And at last, he was really able to see. 
I read this morning the ending of the story from the New Living Translation. Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. This morning, I don't believe those are words just for some Pharisees back 2,000 years ago. I believe those words are for us. When the disciples asked Jesus questions about that blind man and his answers sounded so confusing like some kind of a riddle, Jesus was turning the questions and the answers of this world upside down. The guilt did not lie with the man who was blind. He didn't know Jesus yet. The guilty ones were the Pharisees who claimed that they knew God, but they were blind. So to close this morning, to make us think as we leave, who are you in the story? Who am I in the story? Who are we together as this church, the body of Christ in Truro, Nova Scotia? Will we ask Jesus to help us see? Let's pray. Loving God, convict us, challenge us, maybe comfort us, but may we not leave this morning without hearing you speak to us from this, your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.